We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. How to quickly and efficiently kill the 30,000 Jews at Berdichev in the Ukraine was the problem that had to be solved. It was important to get it right. Because if they could, they could do it on a far bigger scale at the next place, where they'd already planned to do a mass execution of Jews, a place called Babi Yar near Kiev. So how did the SS tackle this first-time problem of mass murder? How did the average German soldier respond to the mass killings of Jews, men, women and very young children? The most shocking thing, you could find yourself on either side of what happened here. It's a story that you must hear. The Germans were winning staggering victories against the Russians, but paying for them at the price of great losses to themselves. Between 7 July and 31 August, the 11th Panzer Division lost its divisional commander, half of its officers, 500 soldiers and sergeants, and suffered severe losses of equipment. The acting divisional commander begged for the division to be taken out of the line, to be thoroughly rested and refitted. It was a bad sign for the Germans. Even when they were having their biggest successes, the guts of their formations were being ripped out by the Russians. Finally, on 2 September 1941, the 11th Panzer Division was ordered to be pulled out of the line. It was being redeployed back to Berdichev. Berdichev was a town which they'd taken, but it paid for dearly only a few months earlier. Now, Berdichev was in the quiet rear. The Panzer Division was going to be deployed along the sealed Berdichev-Zitomia Road. The Wehrmacht wanted the men of the 11th Panzer Division restored psychologically and physically so that they could be sent back into the fight. They were desperately needed. The town of Berdichev, devastated during the recent fighting, had now been cleaned up. The debris had been cleared from the streets. Berdichev was a handsome, pre-revolutionary town. It had buildings and cathedrals, many with Polish influence. This land had been part of Poland until 1863. There were few of the drab, uninspiring buildings of the communists in town. Most Ukrainians had welcomed the German forces. The traditional friendly Ukrainian greeting was to offer bread and salt, and bread and salt was on offer in every Ukrainian town the Germans took. The Ukrainians saw the Germans as their saviours, freeing them from the Soviet yoke. 
All German tanks had painted on them what's called the Balkan Cross. It's a white cross with a black cross overlaid in the centre. The Ukrainians saw these as being Christian crosses, freeing them from the vicious compulsory atheism of the communists. As a rule, prisoners taken by the Germans on the Eastern Front were treated horrifically. The Soviet Union wasn't a signatory to the Geneva Convention on the Treatment of Prisoners. The Germans felt no legal restraints at all about what they could do to Russian prisoners. Interestingly, though, by the end of January 1942, the Germans had released 280,108 Soviet prisoners. Not a single Russian among them. Most, 235,466, were Ukrainians. Even in the few short weeks between taking the town of Berdachev in July until now, early September, the returning German soldiers saw freed Ukrainian soldiers who had, only a few weeks before, been fighting against them in the Red Army. Now they were working for the Germans as polizei, police. They wore white armbands and what looked like baseball caps. They carried rifles. Stalin never talked about this. The official communist line was that all people in the Soviet Union were treated equally badly by the German invaders, even the Jews, the biggest lie of all. The population in Berdachev had had their housing drastically rearranged in an important way. The Jews had now been herded into a newly created ghetto in the poorest part of town. They were living in crowded and unsanitary conditions. The Ukrainians who lived in that part of town before now got to move out of their shabby accommodation and upgrade to a better house in the better part of town as everyone readjusted their homes to take advantage of the generally better quality homes that the Jews had. Treating the Jews badly was not bad for them. And the houses that they took over from the Jews were fully furnished. Why? Because when the Jews had been moved out of their homes, they were only allowed to take 15 kilograms of belongings with them, no furniture. The Jews, of course, took only their most prized and valuable possessions. And this was going to make it so much easier for the Germans and the Ukrainians later to find the best they had when they were rooting amongst their possessions. The Jews were now required to wear the yellow Star of David. You have to remember that only days before the Germans arrived, these Jews had mingled shoulder to shoulder with the Ukrainians. They'd socialised, they'd done business together. I always find it hard to understand how people were so easily able to turn on their neighbours, so brutally, but they did. Some of the Jews, the lucky ones, were recruited to police their fellow Jews. This was a system that worked well for the Nazis later in the ghettos and death camps. In Berdachev, these Jews got to drink at night with the Ukrainian polizei. Don't think about tomorrow. Every night, the polizei would go and take one or two women from the ghetto Jews, a pretty daughter or a wife, to enjoy with the alcohol. 
these women were never seen again. It was the SS's problem to be solved to come up with some way to efficiently shoot to death all 30,000 of the Jewish inhabitants of Berdachev without having a riot, possibly one where they would lose control. The Germans' policies to the Jews in the occupied territory was brilliant and effective. Restrictions were imposed on what food the Jews were allowed to buy. Jews were forbidden to buy butter, eggs, milk, berries, white bread, meat or any vegetables other than potatoes. Without vitamin C, calcium and protein in their diet, within days the Jews became visibly thinner paler and lacking in energy. They were restricted in the times of day that they could go to the markets too, only after six in the evening. By then, most peasants had already sold all of their produce and had gone home to the neighbouring villages where they lived. So there weren't always any potatoes to buy. The Ukrainian polizai, young thugs, weren't slow to brutally exercise the powers that the Nazis gave them. Failure to obey the Nazi decrees allowed the polizei to execute any lawbreaker on the spot. German soldiers were allowed to kill a Jew at any time, anywhere, and for any reason or none. By August 1941, the German front had moved a safe distance from Berdachev, as their armies pushed deeper into Russia. The SS was now free to execute its plans to murder every Jew in Berdachev. The Nazi goal was to achieve a Ukraine that was Judenrein, free of any Jews. The schedule for the mass killings was the first few weeks in September, but there was one problem. The battered 11th Panzer Division was scheduled to arrive for its rest and refit. It was common for ordinary soldiers of the Wehrmacht to watch shootings by the SS. There were a lot of photos taken of Jews being executed by SS firing squads. The photos were taken by ordinary German soldiers. Often the German soldiers seemed to be in a festive mood. Many photos showed them wearing swimming trunks. German soldiers would sometimes join in the execution of Jews. That was fun. But any German soldier, including SS men, could request to be relieved from participating in these shootings. After the war, many records were found where German military personnel requested just that. And that meant for these soldiers who did participate that there was no defence of saying, I had to do it, there was no choice. That was just untrue. Some quite senior German officers protested the treatment of Jews, but they had to be careful. Major Rossler complained, saying that the spectacle of Jews being murdered before an approving audience of German soldiers, Ukrainian women and children was so abominable and cruel that we were utterly shattered and horrified. Major Rossler had seen the atrocity that disturbed him in July 1941, but he didn't lodge a report complaining about it until January 1942. What a long delay. Well, the commander of the 6th German Army at the time was Field Marshal 
Walter von Reichenau, a fanatical Nazi officer who had himself issued a brutal order to the men of his army about how they were to deal with the Jews. There was no purpose in lodging a complaint with this man, and great danger in doing so because of the backlash that would likely affect Major Rossler's professional career. To illustrate my point, let's look at what happened just a few weeks after Major Rossler had witnessed the atrocity that caused him such distress. In August 1941, in the town of Belea Zirkov, German soldiers were present after the executions of several hundred adult Jews. Three truckloads of children had also been executed. For some unknown reason, though, 90 children had been spared, temporarily. They were guarded by some of the Ukrainian polizei. Soldiers of the 29th German Infantry Division were unlucky enough to be billeted near where these poor children were being kept. The sobbing and crying of these devastated and starving children was very distressing to these men. The children were in a bare room, sitting in their own feces and urine, while a couple of slovenly Ukrainian women ignored them and bitched about their problems, which in the circumstances seemed trivial to the casual, compassionate observer. The soldiers protested to their Protestant military chaplain and their Catholic chaplain of their division. The report ended up on the desk of Field Marshal von Reichenau himself. In the reports from both chaplains and their headquarters, they didn't express concern at the plight of the children. The Protestant divisional chaplain ended his report saying, I consider it highly undesirable that such things should take place in full view of the public eye. Lieutenant Colonel Goskarath, commander of the 29th Infantry Division, sent his report to Field Marshal von Reichenau. He recommended that, in the interest of maintaining military discipline, all similar measures should be carried out away from the troops. Reichenau was furious. He was furious that all of this had been reduced to writing. What did that mean? It meant that he knew that what they were doing was criminal, and he didn't want any sort of paper trail leading to him. He ordered the children to be dealt with at once. Standartenführer Colonel Paul Blobel of Sonderkommando 4A of Einsatzgruppe C, whose men were off doing other important work, I guess I know what that was, ordered the Ukrainian polizei to deal with it. Obligingly, on 22 August, they shot all of the 90 children. The soldiers of the 29th Infantry Division no longer had their sleep disturbed even though they should have, for an entirely different reason. There was clearly one sentiment, though, that Field Marshal von Reichenau did agree with in the report sent to him by the division's commander, that in future, in the interests of maintaining military discipline, all similar measures should be carried out away from the troops. Major Rossler's complaint was lodged after a more reasonable officer was appointed to the command of the 6th Army, other than Field Marshal Reichenau. This happened at the end of 1941, after Reichenau came down with a rare illness. 
The new officer in command of the 6th Army was General von Paulus, soon to be the commander of the doomed Stalingrad fortress. So now at Berdichev, for the sake of prudence, arrangements were made between the Army and the SS about keeping the 11th Panzer Division men entertained and distracted so that they could get the rest they so clearly needed while the SS carried out the necessary extermination of the remaining 20,000 Jewish women, elderly men and young children. Standartenführer Paul Blobel had decided to handle the mass extermination of these 30,000 Jews at Berdichen in two stages. The first and smaller operation had been to murder the 10,000 men of roughly military age in the ghetto. If there was going to be any serious trouble, it would come from the men. The 11th Panzer Division was due to arrive and deploy north of Berdichen in a few days' time. Blobel decided that they could get the extermination of the men out of the way first, before then. They weren't yet ready to deal with the other 20,000 Jews, the old men, the women, the children. A place was found to execute the men south of the town, away from where the 11th Panzer Division was going to be bivouacked, near the town of Kazin, about 8 kilometres south of Berdichen. Soviet prisoners of war were brought in to dig two large pits for the bodies. The execution of the men took place on 5 September. It was the largest mass execution ever undertaken by the SS up to then. With the men out of the way, the women, young children and elderly men could be dealt with on 15 September. The Panzer Division would be there but entertainments were prepared in the nearby town of Zutomia to keep them entertained and far enough away so they wouldn't hear the sounds of gunfire and the screams of the victims. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you have any questions about anything in this program, maybe you could catch up with me for my guided tour at the Australian Armour and Artillery Museum on Saturday morning starting at 10.30am, Probably the world's best guided tour of an armour and artillery museum, borrowing the Danish Kulzberg slogan for their beer. If you missed this program, you can catch up with it as a podcast on Spotify, Apple and many other sites. Search for The Danger Zone, bracket, DZ, close bracket. And if you like this program, you'll definitely love my other program, CYKIAE, also available on the same podcast sites.